0: Well, this weekend, Gene and I had a real privilege to be a part of a wedding of a couple who actually met here at Soul City Church. We love to go to weddings, but it's really special when you get to go to the wedding of a couple who did not know each other outside of this church. And we got to go to Megan and Timmy's wedding this weekend, and they actually met while serving up in Soul City Kids. Isn't that cool? They volunteered every weekend at Soul City Kids. And they met, and this is just another—that's just an easy push to volunteer right there. I mean, I, that sells itself right there. So, I don't know. This is not supposed to be a message about that, but it can be for you if you want. And they met while serving, and. It was so cool to be there at their wedding, and, and, and I, we were blown away by what God has done in this church just over the last couple of years, and what was really cool is in their wedding party and, and surrounded all throughout the wedding were people from Soul City Church, their community that they're a part of, all these people are here to celebrate them, and in, in the middle of this incredible celebration, and, and we're close with both of their families. I mean, it was just rich for Gene and I, and we danced way too long, way too late, and so Gene and I were sitting down, taking a break, catching our breath, and it just hit us what a special thing this is. I mean, it really hit both Gene and I that we get to be a part of something like this that God's doing where not only are people's lives being changed by the transforming love of Jesus, but literally who they partner with and who they spend the rest of their life with. I mean, it's happening within the context of this community. It is a humbling and powerful thing for us. And while we're reflecting on that at this wedding, I also had this other thought, knowing what we'd be teaching about this weekend, talking about, it, I had a terrible thought. <laughs> this is not a thought you should have a wedding at a wedding. Because as I was watching all these relationships and dancing and beautiful wedding party of all these people, I thought to myself, you know, the reality is in the midst of all these relationships that some of these relationships are going to go wrong. Some of these folks are going to hit a wall with each other relationally. In fact, some of these folks in a couple years won't even be friends with each other. This is a terrible thought to have at a wedding. I just want to make a note to let you know. That's a terrible thought to have at a wedding. And here's what I would say if you ever have that thought at a wedding. Do not share that with the bride. I don't think that's the time to go up and say, you look so lovely and beautiful today. and Your bridesmaids look so beautiful. You know, statistically speaking, uh, within the next 18 to 24 months, you won't be talking with two of them. And the reality is you're probably going to have a fight with your in-laws within the next three years and you won't do Thanksgiving at their house. But what a lovely day. (laughs) I mean, that's not something you share at a wedding. But the reality is, and we already know this, you actually already know this, is that the closer and closer we get with each other, the greater the odds and the chances are of us hurting each other, of relationships going wrong. Good relationships, even godly relationships go wrong. It's inevitable, it's sort of, bound to happen, that community and conflict can collide. And so the question that I want us to kind of walk through is, what do you do when that happens? Because it's happened to every one of us already. My hunch is that you have relationships in your life that have gone sideways, that have gone south. In fact, there may be people in your life that you no longer speak to because there was a moment when the relationship went wrong. Could have been a misunderstanding that led to a disagreement that led to a story that you wrote in your mind, and now it's been Three years since you've spoken to them. It could be a friend, it could be a family member, it could be a coworker. This stuff happens within marriages. When relationships tend to just sort of go wrong. It can just happen. We've all experienced it. And so the question that I want us to really consider as we look at these life-changing teachings of Jesus is what do you do when relationships go wrong? Like, what do you do? When a relationship, you can kind of feel it kind of hitting the rails. You can feel it going south a little bit. What do you do when relationships go wrong? Now, let me just pause for a second. So lest you think this question's for everyone else or some sort of metaphorical question. I'm asking you, what do you do when relationships go wrong? What have you done? What is your tendency? We all reply and respond differently when relationships go wrong. Some of us, your first move when a relationship starts to go wrong is you start the blame game. And you start building your case against that person and why it's going wrong. And so you kind of defend yourself by blaming them and kind of attacking them for why the relationship's going wrong. Some of us tend to ignore it when a relationship goes wrong. You just don't want to deal with it. You don't want to admit it. You just know it's going to be harder to fix. And so you just kind of ignore it and hope that it goes away. Some folks, when relationships start to go wrong, get stuck in a fear of conflict. This is me. I just don't want to, I, I, it's going to be harder to make this thing right, so I kind of talk it over, and you can stay up late at night rehearsing a conversation that you mean to have with someone to the point where you're like, get sick in your stomach over it. Anyone experienced that before? So afraid of confronting a relationship that's gone wrong. Some of you, when a relationship goes wrong, instead of going to make it right, you want to make sure that you make your point. And so you do whatever you can. You send emails in all caps <laughs> at 1 a.m. because you want them to know your point. Right? When it goes wrong, you want to make sure that you're heard in the process. Some of us play the victim. Play the victim. Oh, we kind of get rally people around us to help kind of come on our side because can you believe what this person did to some of you? Some of you like to, um, we use the word process. I have a spiritual word that we use. We like to process when a relationship goes wrong. Uh, The Bible uses another word for it. They call it, uh, the Bible calls it uh, gossip. Uh, So you like to process with people what's gone wrong. You just want to get some help with this. And so you go to like, you know, two to five to 25 of your friends and you process how stupid this person is and how could they possibly do this to you. And maybe you even put it up on Facebook for everyone to process (laughs) with you. Some of us, when relationships start to go wrong, for fear of maybe something that had gone wrong in the past or a hurt that you'd experienced, some of us, when it starts to go wrong, you walk away. Because maybe that's what a parent did to you when you were a kid. That's what a spouse did to you, a friend did to you. And so that's your go-to strategy. When you feel a relationship hitting the rails, you just kind of walk away. We all do different things. We all reply differently, respond differently, react differently. When relationships go wrong, each of us, but what I want us to look at today from the teachings of Jesus is something you can actually do right. Something that each of us can do, all of us can actually do right from a very challenging teaching of Jesus that if we actually applied in our lives could literally kind of cut relationships going wrong from hitting the rocks, that can cut gossip off at the past and can actually make space for peace to prosper in a relationship, I want us to look at something you can do right, even in the face of conflict, and it's called making peace. How do we make peace? I want to walk you through a process that Jesus gave us about how we make peace with others when relationships go wrong. So grab a Bible, if you would, please, and open to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, if you've got one with you, great. If not, can you reach in your seat back, grab one of these gray Bibles? Grab a pen too. We're going to circle some stuff, write some stuff down. In the Great Bible, it's page 688, page 688, Matthew 18. This is a fundamental teaching for our church. We've taught this passage from the Bible, this teaching of Jesus, every year that we've been around as a church. Because the reality is relationships go wrong. It happens. It happens to every single one of us. And so we want to come back to the thing. A lot of things in the Bible, mystery. Take great faith, cannot understand, fully grasp. This one, not so much. Jesus is very clear on what we can do right when relationships go wrong. All right, so Jesus is teaching and kind of laying out what happens when someone sins against you in the context of a community, and we're going to use that as kind of our model for any time that conflict enters into a relationship. So this is what Jesus says in Matthew 18, we'll start with verse 15. He says, if your brother or sister sins, now some translations use the phrase sins against you, and that's actually what's implied by this word sins, that it's a sin that's coming at you or that is against you. So I want to be really clear here that what Jesus is saying is not like when your brother or sister sins, like about anything in their life, that it's your job to go point that out to them. Some of you love acting like sin police because it keeps you from taking responsibility for the sin in your own life. It's not what Jesus is talking about. Your job is not to be sin police for other people. The great news is you can fire yourself from that job because God's already doing that. It's his job to judge, not yours. But when someone sins against you, is what Jesus is saying. When something comes between you, when a conflict gets in the middle of community and comes between the two of you, then you go and you point out their fault. Just between, what's the phrase here? Just between who? The two of you. Very important. Underline that. Just between the two of you. Very, very important. Jesus knows us all too well. And if they listen to you, you've won them over. Not to your side, but back to the place of peace. Not to your position, but back to the place of peace. That's kind of where it starts here. First step, Matthew 18, is that. Jesus says, now, sometimes, though, that doesn't work. That's not enough. Matthew 18, 16, he goes on and says, but if they will not listen, then take one or two others along, so that, he's quoting Deuteronomy 19, 6, 15 here, he says, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses, so that every side is heard, so that people are well represented, so that the truth actually has a place to grow and peace has a place to grow. To prosper. If it doesn't work just between me and you, you take someone else with you. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 17, but if they still refuse to listen, then you tell it to the church. Now I want to pause right here. We're going to get into the rest of this in a minute. I love this. This is for those of you who kind of like study maybe history or Christian history, understand a little bit of the story of God. This is a really important phrase that Jesus uses. He he says here, he says that if they're not going to listen, then you tell it to who? He says you tell it to the church. Now what's really interesting, if you know anything kind of about Christian history, the chronology of how all this stuff happened, the church didn't exist while Jesus was on earth. It actually came once he left, what we celebrated Easter. The Holy Spirit comes, and that's when the church begins. And so what Jesus is doing is giving like a little spoiler alert. He's letting these people know like, hey, this is what it's really about, this thing called the church. I know you don't know what that word means yet, but you will. It's going to literally change the world. The idea here, though, is that it's about community. It's about relationship. You take it to the beloved community. You take it to a spiritual community. He uses the word church that they would come to know all too well. In fact, just about every one of the listeners who heard him use it here would give their life for it. He's saying, that's what we do. We take it to this community when conflict collides. And he says, then if they still refuse to listen to the church, then you treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. <laughs> Harsh ending right before Jesus drops the mic. And so <laughs> what I want you to do is just kind of hold on that thought. Can you hold on that thought? I want to come back to that in a moment about this idea of treating them like pagans and tax collectors. So what Jesus is doing here in, in Matthew 18, why it's such a foundational teaching for our church, is he's giving us a process for making peace. A lot of things about the Bible are mystery. He says this isn't. I want to be really clear. Relationships will go wrong. So here's a process that you can follow to make peace. When you don't know what to do, you can do this. You can actually do this. Make peace with one another. In fact, making peace is what you do right when relationships go wrong. You're going to want to do a lot of other things. Maybe you've grown up with a lot of other patterns. But Jesus says, this is what you can do right. Making peace is actually what you do right when relationships go wrong. When relationships get off the rails, this is how we get them back. It's actually about making peace. And we talk about this a lot at Soul City Church. In fact, a couple of years ago, Jeannie, my wife, one of the other lead pastors, taught this passage and she used a couple of phrases to describe us that I thought were so brilliant that I'm just going to ride her coattails yet again. And I want to share those with you today because I think it helps us understand. You might want to even jot these down because it's so memorable and it's so helpful for this process of making peace, what you can do right when things go wrong. So Jesus gave us this process. It starts in Matthew 18, verse 15. And this is kind of what he says. When there's a conflict between the two of you, when someone sins against you, when something gets in the way of relationship, You are to take it to just that person. So the only people that need to be involved in the beginning are me and you. That's it. Me and you. So I want you to repeat back after me. Step one in the peacemaking process involves who? Me Me and you. That's it. Me and you. No, You don't need to go to anyone else. You need to get sideways on this one. It is me and you. You go to the right person right away. You go to the person who this is between you with, and you go right away. You go openly. You go humbly. Remember, you're not trying to make your point. You're trying to make peace. And so you go and you seek them out directly. You don't need to go anywhere else. In fact, so often we miss step one in the process because we go to the wrong person. I go to the wrong person. You want to know who I go to first? I go to myself first. And I start talking it up. Oh, can you, I can't believe how they treated me. Can you believe what they said? You know, this isn't the first time they've said anything like this. And I start making my whole case and I can go real, I can go like, go real underground, real quick with this. Write a whole story about that person's life. How they don't deserve to be my friend. I mean, I can do like, I can, it can get bad. Maybe you can relate. Instead of going to them, I go to me. And I just let it stew and brew inside of me. Nothing healthy ever comes from that stew. Some of us miss the first step because maybe you don't go to you, but you go to others. And you just take it and you process it again. Remember that word? We process it. and You want to kind of bounce it off of people to make sure that you're right and that they're wrong and that at least some other people know that. <laughs> Jesus says, no, no, no. When something goes wrong in a relationship, me and you. Me and you. Go quickly. In fact, what we say to our kids is you make it right right away. You make it right, right away. You just go straight to them as best you can. And I'd encourage you when you go to someone to really, truly go humbly and honestly and openly because you know your propensity to hurt people as well. You you know how easy it is for you to have relationships go wrong because of something you've said or you've done. So taking questions like this, these might help you to kind of jot down phrases like this Can you help me understand? Go to someone and say, Hey, can you help me understand? You said this the other day, all right? Can you help me understand? Or, hey, I want to let you know something you said hurt me and I want to share it with you. Something you did hurt me and I want to share it with you. You come honestly, humbly, openly and let me be very clear about this because this didn't exist. This wasn't even an option in Jesus' day. You do it face to face. Peace isn't made over text. You don't make peace over email exchanges. I cannot see your heart if I can't see your eyes. So you show up. And you go to him straight away. Can you help me understand? I want to let you know something you did hurt me. I'm telling you, those of you who are married, imagine if that's kind of what you brought maybe at the end of the day or end of a fight. you go with. Can you help me understand? You said this, you did this yesterday. At work, can you imagine the different culture that would create? Instead of kind of building up your case against someone, you said, no, I'm going to go right away. Can you help me understand this? I want to let you know, actually, like, that really hurt when you did that. And you come openly and humbly. And I'm telling you, it is a powerful and beautiful thing because lots of times what happens is someone goes, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. Or I, that's not at all what I meant. I'm so sorry. And lots of times, boom, peace is like restored right there. It's a powerful thing. All the headache and heartache and tying your stomach up and knots about letting this thing get bigger than it needs to be. You can just cut it right off the pass. Powerful thing. But not every time. Doesn't always work that way. Sometimes you do that, and they're just like, Yeah, I did say it. And I meant it. I'm going to say it again right now. And they kind of like roll it out to you again. And so Jesus says, There's another step. Then step two is really clear. It's after you've done just me and you, he says, Matthew 18, 16, it's me, you, and a few. It's me, you, and a few. So I want to say, When we have to, like we try and we do me and you, and it doesn't work, who's involved next? Okay, that wasn't a trick question. I think it's on the board. Okay. So it starts with me and you. Next is, when that doesn't work, who do we go to? Who is it? Me you and a few. Marginal at best. (laughs) I'm going to have a Matthew 18 conversation with you all afterwards. (laughs) Me, you, and a few. Me, you, and a few. That's it. Me, you, and a few. Don't need to get a lot of folks involved. In fact, what Jesus is saying here is you you take people that actually have godly wisdom with them. You bring in impartial people. You don't lawyer up and bring your buddies in and all the people who are going to take your side. That's what you can maybe want to do, but what Jesus says, no, no, you just bring in a few, me, you, and a few, and what that does is it makes sure that every side is heard and that someone can help navigate what the two of you could not. What a gift community is. What a gift community is. The kind of person you want to seek for that role to sit with you is an impartial person, or maybe a mutual friend that can really, truly sit in the middle of the two of you, this is a very important characteristic. They need to have two ears. And I don't just mean physically. I mean, they need to be able to listen to what the two of you are saying while simultaneously listening to God. They need to listen to God. If they can't do that, they are not the right person to bring with you. And need to be able to listen to the two of you, hear you, what I hear you saying, what I hear you saying, and then be able to say, here's what I hear, here's what I sense God's saying. What a powerful gift that can be. And I'm so thankful for the people who have stepped in and helped me when I've gotten stuck in relationships that have gone wrong. And I've helped kind of navigate that with me. What a gift. Because the truth is about me, and maybe this is true of you, is when I'm hurt, I'm not, I'm, I'm not the best person to navigate conflict. My hurt oftentimes makes it hard to hear. My hurt makes it hard to hear other people. And so to have someone really be able to be that gift of a go-to sort of person that can create space for two hurting people to find restoration and reconciliation. I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. And that's why if you hear us talk a lot about the difference between going to church and being in church, this is one of the reasons why. If you just kind of go to church and kind of check off the box and do the attendance thing, that's great. But when relationships go wrong, it's gonna be really hard for you to find someone that can help you do this. But when you choose to be the church, to plant yourself, to root yourself, to be a part of what God's doing here, it kind of opens up the doors to awesome, amazing people who can listen to you and listen to God at the same time. And it's the gift, it is the gift of community when conflict and community collide. So I've seen this happen again and again where and seen a relationship be restored by just the right person stepping in and helping them navigate it. But sometimes that doesn't always work. And so Jesus says there's, there's a third step. And that third step after you've done me and you and that didn't work, you did me, you, and a few and that didn't work. Then he says, You take it to the church. And I love how, how Jeannie phrases I'm stealing something she said. Then it's me, you, and a pew. I love that. We didn't have pews. See, I don't even know what we'd know what to do with a pew if we had one. But you get the idea, right? That's when you take it to the church. Me and you, me, you, and a few. And then the third step is who? Me, you, and a pew. Me, you, and a few. So that's where you go and say, okay, I need to seek some spiritual leadership to get involved to help facilitate reconciliation here. This is the third step, not the first. So if there's a conflict or broken in your relationship, that doesn't mean you run, go tell your pastor, run, go tell your small group leader first. This is the third step after the other two haven't worked. Then Jesus says, this is the gift of the church. This is actually what we can lean into is you can lean into someone like a small group leader maybe even a staff member here at Soul City, possibly an elder to get involved if it's gotten to that level to say, okay, we are gonna now seek spiritual leadership to help us navigate this because we are stuck and destructively stuck. And so we're gonna involve the church to help us out, me, you, and a pew. And I'm gonna be honest, this is a hard and humbling seat to sit in. It's, I mean, it's basically going to the principal's office because now you've had to call in some people and humble yourself and say, we, couldn't, we could not work this out on our own and we need your help to do so. And the two of you have to be willing to listen to and submit to that authority. To listen to and submit to and say, okay, we, we clearly could not do this. We involved them and we involved them. It didn't work. Will you help us do so? But I'm telling you, it is a powerful step. One, Jesus says, look, if you need to, if it gets to that, then le- like leverage the gift of community of the church. And then Jesus gives, her that one last phrase? He said, but if that doesn't work, he says, if you get through all of that, and if that doesn't even work, remember that phrase that Jesus used, then treat him like a what? Treat him like a pagan and a tax collector. This is a harsh thing for Jesus to say, and obviously it's different in our culture than it was in his, but in his day, I mean, the pagan would represent just sort of, well, the same thing it does in our culture today, just someone kind of living crazy, wild, and free, outside of the sort of, you know, that life that people who follow God would live, and then tax collectors were Really, honest, about as low as you could get on the social scale as far as respect goes. These are people who sold their own people out for a dollar, right? And they're, you know, I mean, just treated so poorly in Jesus' culture. And so we can kind of understand that. When we've, like, been hurt by someone, we've tried to work it out, and you hear Jesus say this, it's like, yeah, treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. Thank you, Jesus, for validating my judgmental spirit. I appreciate you doing that. It's easy to go, yeah, throw them to the curb. Give them what they deserve, But if you stop and really think about who's saying this in the life of the one who still lives off of the pages of this book, who was it that Jesus spent the majority of his time with here on earth? Pagans and tax collectors. He says, yeah, treat them like a pagan and tax collector, just like I do. You keep on loving them. In fact, isn't it interesting that the gospel account that you are now reading the gospel account of the life of Jesus, Matthew's account. Do you know what Matthew's previous occupation was before following Jesus? The tax collector. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Matthew to be writing this down and Jesus says, treat him like a pagan or a tax collector? And Matthew goes, oh. He's like, no, guys, that's actually a good thing. That's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. Jesus didn't write me off, but he walked right to me. He didn't kick me to the curb. He said, You get up and follow me. When you take someone through this process and it still doesn't work, Jesus says, Here's your invitation. You keep on loving them. You offer them forgiveness. May have to be from a distance. You may gotta learn you gotta learn to love maybe some healthy boundaries for a while. But Jesus says, you don't ever get to erase love out of the equation. This is not about just like following the steps to get through it without love and forgiveness in the mix. Powerful, powerful little addendum that Jesus gives. You just keep on loving them like I do, like I love you. This process of making peace, the thing we can do right when things go wrong in a relationship, is such a gift. And I, know I want to be really, really, really honest with you. I have grew up in a church where we taught this every year. I heard this so many times. I know the right thing to do when relationships go wrong. I just don't always want to do it. And for me... Uh, You know, I I like kind of keeping things nice and calm and cool on the surface. And so when relationships are starting to get rocky and maybe even look like they go wrong, I want to shut down. I want to avoid. I want to head it like just I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to have that. That feels like it's going to be hard. Probably going to have to like own some stuff myself and how I contributed to this relational breakdown. And so lots of times my fear of having to say hard things to someone or even hear hard things from someone else keeps me at a safe distance from them. And there have been relationships that I have kept at a distance weeks and months because of something that God was actually inviting me to go and bring to them. And in so doing, I was keeping two people from growth. I was keeping them from potential growth by saying, hey, I don't know if you know this, but when you said this, it did this, or it really hurt me when you said this. That may be, guess what, if they've done that with you, here's the odds. They may be, they're probably doing it with someone else as well. And the gift that I can bring to that person for their growth is to say, hey, I just want to shine a light on this. This is how it felt. This is what it was like to be on the other side of you. So I'm keeping them from their growth when I hold that gift to myself. And I'm keeping myself from my own growth with God. Because of my fear of like, oh God, this is too big. I can't do this. This is going to cause waves. God, I don't want to cause any more conflict. I'm keeping myself from stepping into a place of courage, which Jeannie taught about so beautifully and modeled to us so beautifully last week. I can, if I'm being really honest, I can know all the steps but still withhold love. I I can set up the meeting, I can do the thing, but in my heart, I'm still holding on a grudge. And I'm going to try to find a way, usually a passive-aggressive way, to let them know that I still am right and you still are wrong. I'm telling you, I need this more than I know. And I need to be led by God through it more than I know. I can withhold forgiveness and keep a grudge alive way longer than I ever would care to admit. And my sense is I may not be the only one, that that may not just be unique to me. In fact, what I love, what I love is that in the midst of this powerful process that Jesus gives us for making peace, there's a little part at the end, which we've never even taught here at Soul City before, where Peter comes to Jesus, and I thank God represents what's really oftentimes in my own heart. And that's usually what Peter does. He kind of represents what we're really thinking. He just says it out loud, unlike the rest of us. So after Jesus does this powerful teaching, conflict resolution, making things right when it go wrong, Matthew 18, 21, (laughs) then Peter came to Jesus and said, okay, 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 okay. Great sermon, by the way. Loved how all the words rhymed. I thought that was great. Matthew was taking notes. It's going to be awesome. But how many times, like, but really, though, Jesus, we're off the mic. How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? I know the steps. I know the process. But, Jesus, let's real talk. Like, am I really expected to forgive them? And he uses a number that can seem a little out of context for us. But in the days of Jesus, the rabbis, the spiritual leaders, the teachers had a phrase that they would use when it came to issues of forgiveness, that the the rule for forgiveness was the rule of three, that you would offer forgiveness to someone three times. That was the standard practice, religious practice of the day. I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. If after that, you're free and clear. You don't have to forgive them. You can write them off and treat them how people really treated pagans and tax collectors. But the number seven had this... A special meaning, it still kind of does in our culture today, this perfect number, this whole number, and it represented kind of wholeness and fullness and completeness. And so, what Peter does is he comes to Jesus and says, How many times, like, but for real, how many times am I supposed to forgive him? Are you expecting me to do this all the time? Every relationship? Every time I'm hurt? Like, seven times? Like, this. Perfect, that's what he's asking. Do I really have to do this every time? And Jesus answers emphatically, yes. Verse 22, I tell you, Peter, not seven times, but 77 times. Not all the time, but all the, all the time. Not just sometimes, every time. Yes, that is what I'm inviting you to do. Yes, that is actually what I expect of you to do that you would continue to keep on offering love and forgiveness, love and forgiveness, even when you've been hurt. Jesus would go on to say later, what good is it for you to love people who love you? Anyone can do that. Jesus says the real challenge is in loving those who hurt you, loving those who hate you again and again and again. That's what's most challenging for me that I want to not only walk through this process, but I want to do it not just in part, but with my whole heart and keep on loving and keep on forgiving because that's what God has done for me. See, this is the whole thing we celebrate at Easter. It's the reason why we can actually celebrate the reason Jesus can give this teaching, because it's not just words he said, but the life that he lived. The reason you can forgive and love 70 times, seven times, 70 times, 70, is because God is actually the one who's already made peace with you. This is what's so powerful. God made peace with you so that you could actually make peace with others. He made peace with you. He actually settled things with you so that you could actually make peace with others. He made peace with you and with me and with my sin by what we celebrated Easter, by the cross and by an empty tomb. God said, I'm gonna cover that. You have sinned against me more times than you even know. I'm gonna cover that again and again and again and again. I have made peace with you and now you are invited. In fact, for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, you are expected. To make peace, to make peace, to make it right when relationships go wrong. And my hunch is there are some relationships in your life right now, if things are not right and you've got all your reasons and you've built up your case and you've kind of put them in the category of villain and you're the victim and... Is it possible that the teachings of Jesus are not only meant to get off the page, but into your life and your relationships today? That there is a person or people that you need to go and make peace with. You need to humble yourself. You need to come openly, come honestly, and go directly to them. To not withhold a gift of growth from them or from yourself by keeping it to yourself any longer. Who is it right now in your life that you need to make it right with? It could be a parent, spouse, co-worker. That's an easy one, co-worker. A friend, a broken relationship. And Jesus is saying, look, I, it's time to forgive and to love and to follow this process of peace. And it's not going to be easy. I don't want you to think that at all. It's not going to be easy. It's just totally life-changing, that's all. It can just set you free. You won't be bound by anxious thoughts. You don't have to live in fear of this conflict. You don't have to live in fear of rejection for them because you've already been loved and set free by God. And to help in this process, our elders have put together an unbelievable resource. I'm not going to spend time walking you through that, but you can actually go to our website today and under resources, there's a whole section of navigating conflict And it's a wonderful spiritual reflection for you to begin the process of making peace and making it right. And you'll never guess who the process starts with. You and me. And so if there's a relationship that's gone wrong in your life, you know exactly what to do today. My prayer and our hope for you is that you'd have the courage to do so. That you'd no longer live in fear, but that you'd go and follow the path of peace that Jesus modeled not only with his words, but with his very life. So I want us to lead us in just a a prayer of commitment and then we're gonna sing a song of response together that declares the reality we don't have to live in that fear anymore. We've actually been set free by God, made peace with us so that we could do that with others. I'm going to ask you if you would actually stand up and take a prayer posture that we take a lot around here, which is open-handedness. Rather than closing our hands and our hearts off, we want to open them up. And there may be a name or two that's been on the tip of your tongue and you've been thinking this whole time, not them, not them, not them. I'd encourage you to say, what if, God, them? Where where are you leading me to either forgive, to love, or to go and make peace today? So i want to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a song of response together. Jesus, thank you that you are the one who has made peace. And this is not light, this is not quick, this is not easy stuff, but it literally can change our lives. It can free our souls so that we no longer live in fear, but we live in who you already know us to be as children of you. That the reality, God, is wherever, whatever hard or difficult place or conversation that you're leading us to, the reality is you're the one leading us and you will walk with us. And you love us as much as you love them. And to help us to treat them, we pray, Jesus, like pagans and tax collectors, just like you did. Because that's who we are. And you didn't write us off. You walked right to us and you invited us into life with you. And you said we can be sons and daughters of the Most High God and that we have been set free. So God, I pray you would set this church free from relationships that have gone wrong and have gotten sideways, that you would help us take responsibility and respond to you today. We pray by the power of your great love. Amen.